we are in a series through the summer called Lifelines. <clears throat> and these are lines of Scripture that, that really are sustaining to you. And you as a congregation are the ones who have kind of voted these. And, and today we're in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 6. And I don't remember how many of you chose Matthew 6 as your favorite lifelines, but several of you did. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your smartphone or a tablet or something that you have your Bible on, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll get there in just a little bit. <clears throat> We are told that confidence is a good thing, that it helps you get a job, that it helps you build relationships, that it helps you become a good leader. Confidence, then, is a lifeline to success. Now, have you noticed before that when you're impressed with the way somebody does something, you will, you'll say something like this, oh, she speaks with confidence, or he leads with confidence. And we say that in a complimentary way. It, it's suggesting that somebody has the ability to do above and beyond what is normal or average. It's that good kind of confidence, the kind of confidence that we would all like to have in the right amount, but so few of us get it right because confidence is so fragile. Have you noticed that? Confidence is fragile. A guy, a guy finally works up the courage to ask for a date, and he gets turned down. His confidence takes a huge hit. You get passed by not once, but three times for the promotion, and your confidence is all but gone. Your trusted friend lets you down, and suddenly you have no confidence in anyone else. You look in the mirror and what you see doesn't reflect the same beauty or handsomeness that you see in People magazine, and you can just feel the confidence ebbing away. Confidence fades at the first signs of peer intimidation or negative feedback on your job performance or laughter directed at you, not with you, or someone's misjudgment of your character, or your intentions, or your integrity, or your circumstances. I'm telling you, it just does not take much to shake our confidence. Elsie and I uh, spent a couple days in Charleston, South Carolina two weeks ago when we were on vacation there. Now, we'd never been there before, and so we decided at recommendation that we would take a tour uh, of the city and, and hear the, learn the history of it and see the beautiful old buildings that speak of such historic uh, eras of time. And so we went to, uh, to, to take the tour, and, and, and Elsie didn't go with me to buy the ticket. She was off looking at other things in the museum. I went up to buy it alone. And so I talked to the young man, told him we needed two tickets and everything, and he was very nice, very helpful, and I got the tickets, we went out and got ready to get on the bus, and that's when I looked down and I noticed on the tickets it said, two seniors, <laughs> not adults, seniors, and I was ticked. <laughs> now, I'm, I might have qualified. Okay, I didn't look at the sign. I didn't ask. He just assumed that was the problem. <laughs> you know, if I'd have said, do you have a, t a senior discount? And he said, well, yeah, I'm sure you don't qualify. Let me see your driver's license. Oh, you do qualify. Well, you don't look like a senior. I'd have been fine with that. <laughs> but he assumed I was a senior. I told Elsie, I said, if, if the bus wasn't loading right now, I'd go back in and call him out. He was a lot younger, but he was packing a little bit more weight than I was. I think I could have taken him. <laughs> 
It takes so little to shake our confidence in life. And that's the whole point of this passage of Scripture. When our confidence is at its lowest, we feel unworthy, and that causes us to react in different ways. Some act when they have no confidence, like a whipped pup, and they just go over in a corner. Others act obnoxiously bold, as if to make up for their lack of confidence by their bravado. But the root problem is one to easily identify but difficult to rectify. The problem is that we're always trying to find our confidence in the wrong source. We're always looking for confidence in us. And that's why Jesus had this to say. He's trying to say, no, 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 no. Your confidence can't be in yourself. Your confidence needs to be in me and my Father. And Jesus said, when it's like that, he'll take care of everything. Listen again to the words of Jesus out of this portion of the Sermon on the Mount that is so powerful. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he said, <clears throat> Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable, much more valuable than they? And who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So why do we worry, saying, Who, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, let's unpack this passage together, and I'm, I'm going to give you some truths and imperatives that come out of what Jesus is saying. And here's the first one. Let go of worry. Just let it go. In the words of a famous Disney song that is recently on everybody's mind, let it go, let it go, all right? Let go of worry. The lack of confidence leads to stress, and stress leads to worry, and worry can kill you. Now, let's accept the fact that a little bit of stress is important in life. As a matter of fact, if you have zero stress, you're dead. So, a certain amount of stress is, speaks of life. It, it's not that most of us labor under a little bit of stress. Most of us are trying to cope with what we are carrying around as an overwhelming amount of stress, and that's the problem. Consequently, we worry about the stress that we carry, and when we worry about the stress, that just adds more stress to the stress. And when you worry, and worry dominates your thinking, then it interferes with your productivity. You, you, you can't produce as well. It leads to pessimistic attitudes. It makes us fret and stew over the things we can't change, but we wish we could change, and it makes us irritable in the process because we can't change what we're worried about. 
Such lack of productivity, such pessimistic attitudes, such irritable behavior only increases our stress. It is a huge, vicious cycle. The American Institute on Stress offers this observation, and I'd like to quote them. Quote, there are numerous emotional and physical disorders that have been linked to stress, including depression, anxiety, heart attacks, stroke, hypertension, immune system disorders, and a host of viral-linked illnesses. In addition, stress can have direct effects on the skin, rashes, hives, dermatitis. It can affect the gastrointestinal system and can contribute to insomnia and degenerative neurological disorders like Parkinson's disease. In fact, it is hard to think of any disease in which stress cannot play an aggravating role or any part of the body that is not affected, In quote. This is no small matter. And everyone handles stress and worry in different ways. Some sleep more when they're worried and stressed. Others can't sleep at all except in church. Some stop eating. <laughs> Others go on a feeding frenzy when they're worried. Some quietly withdraw. Others lash out in anger. Some sit and do nothing. Others become compulsively active. No two people handle stress and worry the same, which is a great reminder to all of us who are in families. You cannot expect your spouse, your children, your parents to respond in the same way to their stress and worry as you to yours. And when you expect the same, you'll be disappointed. Just remember, there is no right or wrong way to deal with it. Everybody deals with it differently. So learn to understand how your spouse, your kids, your parents deal with stress and worry and help them instead of being critical of them. A major result of overdosing on stress is what we call burnout. Burnout is emotional exhaustion that depletes our physical, mental, and spiritual energy. A rubber band constantly stretched beyond its capacity loses its elasticity. In the same manner, an individual stretched emotionally beyond his ability with stress and worry will soon lose his emotional elasticity as well. Worry leads to unnecessary stress, and too much stress leads to burnout, and burnout ultimately leads to depression. According to the authors Minrith and Meyer, one of the paradoxes of burnout due to stress overload is that people who tend to be the most dedicated, devoted, committed, responsible, highly motivated, educated, enthusiastic, promising, and energetic suffer from burnout more. Why? Because these people tend to be idealistic or even perfectionistic. So if you're idealistic, if you're perfectionistic, be on your guard. Learn how to deal with your stress so that you can avoid getting to the point of burnout. Start watching for the signs. Start looking for when you get crispy around the edges because burnout is not far away. So what are the signs of getting crispy around the edges? Emotional apathy, detachment from others, reduced accomplishment, Boredom, cynicism, impatience, irritability, a change in your work habits, a feeling of being unappreciated, paranoia, all of which left unattended will result in clinical depression, and it's a bad picture. Now, I've said this before, and I want to say it again this morning because I want you to hear it again. 
Some people deal with anxiety, panic attacks, and depression that result from chemical imbalances or genetic predispositions in their own bodies. If that describes you, then that is more than simply being worried or stressed about something, and you may need the counsel of a doctor or a therapist. In such cases, just eliminating the worry won't solve the problem. If the doctor says, I think you need some medication, will you take it, please? This is not some lack of faith. This is not some abandonment, abandonment of what God's principles are. It's no reflection on you not being strong enough. It just may mean that your body needs the help because this is deeper than just worry. You see, I believe that God often works through healing professionals. I wouldn't expect anything less from the great physician himself who designed us and created us and knows us better than we know ourselves. For the most of us, however, it is just extra worry and stress. And Jesus says, do not worry about your life. That's so simple, so hard to practice. But that's not the only passage that we have. Proverbs 12, 25, an anxious heart, a worried heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Ecclesiastes eleven ten. so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Folks, these aren't just simple, nice-sounding platitudes regarding a non-threatening concern. Stress and worry is a major problem. It's serious issues, and learning how to let go is really important. Jesus said, I can handle it if you'll just let it go. Now, that doesn't mean that somehow we are absolved from the responsibilities and, and the work of our life. God doesn't want us to just sit back and do nothing. He just wants us to keep things balanced. And most of what we worry about, we can't change. And, and when we worry about the future, we can't impact that either. It's energy and time and focus that is wasted when God says, you could be doing something constructive and letting me handle the things you can't change and the future that you can't impact. His words are not meant to relieve us of the work and responsibility, just to relieve us of the stress and worry. On the slope of Long's Peak in Colorado lies the ruins of a huge tree. Naturalists say that it stood for over 400 years. This tree lived over 400 years, weathering thousands of storms and at least 14 lightning strikes. In the end, however, an army of beetles destroyed it. This tremendous giant that defied the passing of time and all kinds of calamities succumbed to beetles so small that you could destroy them between your finger and your thumb. Many people survive life storms, but they allow the beetles of worry and stress to destroy their lives and their joy. Charles Swindoll in his book, Laugh Again, writes, he said, worry about nothing Pray about everything and rest. He goes on to suggest three substitutes for worry. Instead of worrying, he says, rejoice, relax, and find rest. Good advice. Hard to do, but good advice. Here's the second thing. Let God be God. 
Jesus goes on to remind us of the things that occupy our minds and energy that really aren't important things. He, he talks about, you know, we worry about food and clothes and the things and the stuff of our culture and society. He says, don't worry about that. Now, don't get me wrong. I have never intentionally missed a meal, okay? I like food. I like clothes. I like the things of our culture. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when it just occupies your energy and time and your focus and all these things is, is what consumes you. He said, it's going to destroy you. He said, my father has promised, if you'll let him be God, he can handle these things. You, you focus on the things that only you can do in the kingdom of God that matters. I'll take care of the food and the clothes and the provisions and the important things. I like what Rick Warren wrote. He said, worry is the warning light that God is really not first in my life at this particular moment. So when you're all worked up and worried about something, will you stop and say, is this a reflection on my faith and trust in God? Because it probably is. And to illustrate his point, Jesus uses two very ordinary things that we see and, and touch nearly or hear nearly every day of our lives and probably don't think a thing about it. He talks about grass and he talks about birds. Pick simple things that, that aren't really quite so simple after all. Now, usually by this time in July, our, our lawns are getting a little bit brown and dried up, and we're not having to mow as much. But with the temperatures and the rain that we've had, we're still mowing a lot during July. The grass looks good. So the next time you go out to mow, I want you to understand that you are mowing a factory. You get this? The plants, the trees, the flowers, the grass all around us is God's factory of energy. You see, the, the, what, our source of energy is the sun, but we cannot use the sunlight as it is comes. So God devised these huge factories in the plant world that take the sunlight and they convert the light and the carbon to sugars and starches that we consume when we eat the grains and the leaves and the fruit and the berries and the nuts. From all of these things, they sustain us. But this factory with hundreds of sequences in order that performs this photosynthetic process produces what we need out of the light of the sun. You are mowing a factory when you mow your yard. And do you know what the byproduct of the factory is? It's oxygen. Wouldn't it be great if our man-made factories were, were that efficient to provide everything we need and then produce something so wonderful and necessary as oxygen in the process? Jesus said, you know, if, if the grass that's here today and, and burns up tomorrow in July is so powerful, if God can use it in such a tremendous way, think how he can take care of you. And he says, you know, birds don't worry about food. They, they, they do, they take, my father takes care of them. They, they build their nests. They raise their families. They don't worry about food. My heavenly father takes care of them. When Lewis and Clark were on their famous journey uh, across the western part of the States, they identified a lot of new wildlife. And one of the things they identified was the, a bird that's actually named after Clark. It's called Clark's Nutcracker. This bird survived through the winter by eating pine nuts. But it gathers these pine nuts through the summer. Now, now, this bird has a brain the size of a garden pea. And yet, the Clark's Nutcracker is capable of remembering where it has stored up to 33,000 pine nuts. It hides them in cracks, in crevices, in holes, in hollows out of, of the trees. And it remembers where it stores them all. And here's the thing. 
When the bird during the wintertime goes back to one particular place and eats the seeds out of there, it, once that reserve is emptied, it will never return to that reserve again. I go to the same closet or drawer looking for the same thing that I didn't find the first time over and over again looking for the same thing. How does a bird with a brain half the size of a marble accomplish such? Because God's taken care of him. God's designed him in this unique way. And God's saying, if, if, if I can take care of the Clark nutcatcher, nutcracker, I can take care of you. Let God be God. I like what Elton Trueblood wrote. Faith is not belief without proof, but trust without reservation. Let God be God in your life. You know, last thing, set your priorities right. Here's the bottom line. Here's how to avoid the worry trap and let God be God in our lives. And, and Jesus gives us two imperatives very quickly. First one is simply this, live for today. Now, I know it's important to plan for the future. As a matter of fact, the Bible encourages us to plan for the future. You need to look ahead and prepare for such things as marriage or the coming of a child or career moves or retirement and lots of things in between. Even the Bible teaches us, make plans for the future. But we can become so fascinated and focused and fixated on the future that we miss the opportunities of the moment. We're so worried about tomorrow that we're not living in the present. Now, the opposite side of that coin is yesterday. I want you to know this morning that yesterday is a ghost town. Its empty images and dark shadows will haunt you if you let them, but there isn't a thing you can do about yesterday. So when you spent your time worried on yesterday, you missed the opportunities of today. Your worry about tomorrow won't change tomorrow. Your stress over the past won't change the stress or it won't change the past. The only thing you can impact is today, which is why Jesus said tomorrow will worry about itself. You just live life to its fullest today. And then he says, live for his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Now, we get righteousness. Righteousness simply means doing the right thing, making the right decision. That, that's easy to understand. Not always easy to do, but easy to understand. It's this, what does it mean to seek his kingdom first? The word kingdom appears over 150 times in the New Testament, most often in the context of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Unlike earthly kingdoms with territorial boundaries, the kingdom of God refers to those who belong to the king, those who worship the king. And the word kingdom presumes, implies there's a king. You know enough about kings and kingdoms to know what a king demands. Total allegiance. But a, but a king also, a kingdom also implies the protection and the provision of the king. So when he says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, he's saying, you give me your allegiance and I in turn will take care of everything else. If the kingdom is us, the church, then let me ask you, what are you doing today for the king in his kingdom? 
How are you serving to make his kingdom a stronger place? How are you reaching out to others who are not yet in his kingdom? When we seek first his kingdom, he will take care of us. When the girls were younger, when we would do vacations, we often enjoyed uh, trips to theme parks. And I can remember uh, our first trip as a family with the girls to the Magic Kingdom in Disneyland, or Disney World down in Orlando. Uh, Elsie and I made the plans. We set the calendar. We reserved the motel room. We paid for the tickets. We bought the clothes that they wore on that trip. We bought the food that they ate on that trip. The girls didn't have to do anything but enjoy their time in the Magic Kingdom. That's what parents do for their kids. We want them to enjoy life. We want to fill them with the best opportunities. We only had one request of them in the Magic Kingdom, and it was, it was simply this, stick close to us. Stay with us. Don't get separated and everything will be fine. Because we knew if we ever lost them, the magic kingdom would become a place of worry and panic and fear and perhaps even disaster. Folks, we are headed to the majestic kingdom. And God has taken care of everything. He's made the plans. He's set the date on the calendar. He's provided for our needs on the journey, and he's even paid for our entrance price at the cross. You see, that's what the Heavenly Father does for his children. He just has one request. Stick close to him. Stay with him, the King. When you get separated from the Father, that's when the joy of the journey turns to panic or worry, stress, and destruction. Seek him first. And in the most unexpected ways, at the most unusual times, with the most surprising results, God will not only respond to our needs, but he will respond with blessings that far exceed our imagination. You see, confidence in the Father is our lifeline for eternity. But that requires of us our trust. Let go of your worries. Let God be God and live life to the fullest today for his kingdom and for our king.